Today on First Lady and Friends, I had a great conversation with Saru Ramanan. She is the manager of marketing and communications at Utah Nonprofits Association. And we talked all about nonprofits and the do's and don'ts and, and, and the great things that the Nonprofit Association does to help folks that are starting nonprofits and working in the nonprofit world. Can't wait for you to take a listen. Let's get proximate. Welcome back to First Lady and Friends. Uh, I have a great guest here today from the Nonprofits Association, uh, Saru. She is here. She's the manager of marketing and communications at Utah Nonprofits. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for doing this program. Um, it is a wonderful opportunity and great to connect with you. Yeah, thank you. We, you know, we work so much with nonprofits throughout the state, and and clearly, so do you. And, and there's so many, and people don't realize. I mean, there's thousands of nonprofits throughout the state, and and um, so I, I want to get into that. But before we do, let's talk about you. Let's talk about where you grew up. Tell me a little bit about your background and your childhood, and and where. And we're going to start, like, on the couch. Here we go. I, I love this. Feeling comfy. <laughs> um, well, I'm somewhat new to Utah. A little reluctant to admit it, but very happy to be here. Um, I've been here now. This is our second year. Um Growing up, I was a child of immigrants, so my parents immigrated to Canada from India in the late 60s, early 70s. So my brothers and I were born in Canada, grew up in Ohio. As an adult, I lived in Southern California, lived in Texas. And recently, upon moving here, it's really been like the first time we felt a sense of home in a while. And I think, not like I moved around all the time, but I think when you do pick up your home base over the years, your sense of home is relative and it's something you kind of internalize. But, um, you know, upon moving here and getting settled, you really get a sense that this is such a strong community. Um, people are open and kind and very willing to connect. And there's this energy here that's not like the arrhythmic, frenetic energy you talk about in like, you know, major cities. It's like a, a genuine kind of energy that people have to show up, to connect, to participate, to help out. And I think that really feels like home to me. Mm. I love that. And, you know, of course, we we think that, but we, you know, it's hard to to compare. I mean, we've I've lived other places, but it's it really is, I think, unique in a lot of ways. Utah is and hopefully very welcoming. I'm, um, you know, we try to be. And so I love that you're here and enjoying it and kind of understanding and getting into that. I think when people come here, um, that have never lived here before, it feels, you know, I think people are surprised. Are there things that you have been surprised about? Um, you know, I think the multiculturalism and the availability of kind of resources and organizations and events, the number of community events. You know, I first moved here, I was like, I'm signing up for this newsletter and that newsletter. I'm researching this. And I really didn't have to, um, you know, every weekend there's something amazing happening, an opportunity to kind of find a new subculture. Uh, the live music has been great. The comedy has been great. I think, um, you know, we really moved here for nature and family. And so all the other aspects of uh, living here have just been like all pleasant surprises. Oh, very cool. So you grew up kind of in, you, you started in Canada and then did your whole family move to Ohio? Yes. We okay. Fabulous Cleveland, Ohio in yes. the 90s. Um, so yeah, that's where I went to school. Then I went okay. to undergrad there um, and then moved to Southern California for graduate school. Okay. And then is your family still in Ohio? Your parents and stuff are still? Actually, I'm joining the bandwagon. Um, 
one of my siblings moved here and my parents also moved here. And so um, my husband and I spent most of the pandemic kind of on an extended remote work road trip and we kind of crisscrossed the country. Um, We thought we'd be, you know, living it up. But really what we did was we got Airbnbs close to family and spent a couple months all over the country. But when we came through Salt Lake, we were just like, oh, this is this is it. (laughs) This is where we should be. This is the place. This is the place. (laughs) Definitely had that feeling. Mm. That's amazing. So what brought your parents here? Being exceptional child care providers, <laughs> just to be close to my brother, my brother's family. So okay. we're kind of creating a new hub. I think we're. I love it. On I the love bandwagon. Ah, oh, I love it. I, you know, we're every, everyone's welcome, and we we love that. Um, talk a little bit, maybe about. Um, I, I know I, I have several friends who are sort of second generation immigrants, and there's a, it's a whole thing, right? Yes, it's definitely a whole, a whole thing. Talk a little bit about that and kind of expectations. And I mean, there's some cultural things. Just talk a little bit about your experience. I think um, definitely speaking for myself, maybe speaking for a broader majority of uh, kind of first generation kids who grew up in the 90s. You have this split, this identity split. Mm. And I think depending on how where you grow up and who you are. It can manifest in different ways. But I think when I was really young, there was a lot of trying to pass. You know, you're a certain way out of the house and then you could be more Indian in the house, you know, or being really sensitive about the foods we cook and kind of presenting two selves where when you're with your family, you do all the cultural things. So I grew up doing classical Indian dance. You know, we have our temple community. Um, We have our family. We take trips to India, but you don't really bring that to school. Now, as I've matured and become a grown-up, um, you realize how much beauty there is and how much your culture is your identity. And so I think the name of the game now as adults, and certainly for my siblings and myself, is how do we reconcile that in a healthy way? And it could be, you know, as silly as like we're streaming these Bollywood movies and we're like, wow, I had no idea, <laughs> you know, or, um, you know, for my brother's children, getting them involved in cultural activities, taking them to the temple. There's a great temple community here. So I think it's kind of this process of unlearning and relearning that mm-hmm. connection, but with always a really strong positive through line. Ultimately, you know, your identity and your culture, this is family. And so when I say like you take home with you, that's part of it. You know, it's it's the environment you were raised in is what you take with you as you move mm-hmm. from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I love, um, I have to say, Indian culture has been so great here, in, and I've gotten to know so many of um, my Indian American friends here in Utah. Uh, we, every year, do a Diwali celebration at the mansion, and I I guess I, I really love the inclusivity of, uh, I mean, they come and they want, you know, they do a custom sari, mm-hmm. and they, you know, it's a whole thing, and I'm like, yeah, I'm learning so much, and I actually feel so much um, connection and joy when when I get to explore a new culture that I that I wasn't a part of before, and for me, I I love that someone like you is willing to share that culture instead of saying, well, you, you might not find it awesome, and so we don't we'll just keep it at home like you mm-hmm. talked about, and I love the idea that um, everybody comes. In, I mean, we are a melting pot. We are a plural, 
pluralistic society here in in the United States and and in Utah. And I I kind of love that idea. I think outside of Utah, people have a a perception of Utah that is very homogenous. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways we are. But I think people are surprised like you say, about the multicultural aspect of Utah. Absolutely. <clears throat> and in Indian culture, there's this concept, and I'm probably making it a bit flat here, but essentially guest is God. But mm. like, you never know who's walking through your doors. And so you always treat with them with the utmost respect. And it's a joy to share your culture. And like all great cultures, including Utah's culture, food is everything. And so like the common denominator is like, come inside, let me let me make you a meal. And I see that now. As soon as people come over, I'm like, let me make you some chai. I'm like, oh, my mom would be so proud. <laughs> I'm fitting in. I'm getting, yeah. I'm getting, you know, like I'm, I'm adulting in this yeah. culture. Yes, exactly. Which is, you know, for me, it was probably like, I, I'm probably terrible, but I'm like, no, I don't can vegetables. So that's part of my culture that I'm not participating in. It's the process of my cultural learning okay. as well. I thought that was a prerequisite for yeah. living here. I'm starting yeah. with my baking skills. Oh, there you go. They're pretty nascent. We, right we love desserts here in Utah. Like, you know, we don't do a lot of, well, I should say we, but like in generally not a lot of alcohol or whatever, but we love sugar. That was a major Turns selling out. point. <laughs> So, oh, I love it. I love to learn uh, new things and and uh, and share in your experiences. Um, so, so you you did graduate school in California, and and then you you guys made your way here. What got you into the nonprofit world? Sure, um, it's one of those things where I don't really stop and reflect. It's kind of not a calling. I yeah. that that sounds like a very strong term, but I think I just I always had a background in volunteering. Um, working with children and youth. After college, I had some experience in grassroots international work, specifically working with children. And so I was always attracted to like helping, but I'm also a bit of a problem solver. And so I've kind of always gone back to this idea of what could we do at scale? How could we innovate? There's got to be a better way. You know, it's Yes, you can provide direct service, and we always need to do that. But my mind would always creep a couple levels up to, like, how do these mechanisms work? How to how do groups come together to create international aid programs? Or, you know, how does the government work with organizations to provide, you know, mental health funding? So there's a little bit of a curiosity and a problem-solver brain. And that just naturally led me into the nonprofit sector. Um, I bounced around a lot. I've worked in child welfare, and then uh, more recently got involved in working in like nonprofit networks. So this kind of a collective impact model, but this, I don't know, I'm very attracted to like the spaces in between things and the potential that exists kind of for working between and across organizations or working um, kind of between and across sectors, like what can happen with businesses and nonprofits, what can happen with the public sector and nonprofits and kind of finding opportunities in all those little places. Mm. Yeah, it's, and, you know, I don't know other than Utah, but we do have such a robust nonprofit community that's, that is is really amazing. And I've, you know, we've traveled around with our, with Show Up, we've actually done a, a thing where we go and visit different nonprofits around, which is really fascinating. And so I just was yesterday, we were in Cedar City for the One One Utah Summit. And so we decided to take advantage of being off the Wasatch Front because we visit a lot up here. But um, so we were in Cedar City and visited a couple of different nonprofits. And 
Um, one is the happy place, which is where they make these toys that they send all over the world. And, um, and, and one was a residential facility for people, adults with disabilities, intellectual disabilities. And I just, I'm like, my heart just, it feels so happy when I see people working in these spaces that are serving populations that that are in desperate need and that need us to rally around them and support them. So I love the fact that, that you're drawn to that, you're feel called to that. I think it's really important that we continue to have a robust um, nonprofit organization. I want to go to something like your experiences around um, how we collaborate with nonprofits. I'm going to do that when we come right back. We're back here on First Lady and Friends um, with Saru Ramanan. She is with the Utah Nonprofits Association. Um, we're talking about how these different nonprofits, and, and like I said, there's there's thousands of them throughout the state. What I've noticed is that sometimes there's a lot of different organizations that are doing very similar work. So. What are what are you doing at the not at the nonprofits association to sort of connect them and maybe help them collaborate? I know people have it's really hard because people have their their passions. And I started this nonprofit because I have this passion and I have, you know, I feel called to do this kind of work in this particular space. And this is where I feel drawn to. So don't take this away from me, you know, and, and so it's, it's, you you find yourself really emotionally attached to your to your organization and your ideas how do we collaborate better? That's a great question. Um, so actually, Utah is home to more than 11,000 incorporated yeah. nonprofits across all 501c types. Um, the vast majority of these, like you mentioned, are doing really essential work in the community that I think we just kind of overlook or take for granted from childcare, emergency services, food support, arts and culture, you know, running our museums to, you know, runs the gamut or after school yeah. programs services for people with disabilities, everything. And it's just so well integrated into our community. Um, I think the opportunity for collaboration definitely addresses a lot of people working on the same mission. However, um, the goal is not to consolidate or to eliminate organizations. I think the goal is to understand the opportunities that exist when we find out like, oh, we're serving the same constituency. What can we learn from each other? Mm -hmm. And let's say there are two organizations running after school programs in neighboring cities, you know, how can we share physical resources? Um, sometimes the opportunity is very simple, like resource sharing. So there's one organization. Um, we have these monthly calls uh, that are open to all of our nonprofit members that are specific to roles. So we have like an executive director, we call it conversations and coffee, but essentially bring your beverage of choice, but it's a no judgment open space to just connect with your peers. We do one for fundraising professionals, and then we kind of sprinkle some in for those who are in operations and admin. The idea is that no person is an island um, and that this work can be really isolating. There's something called compassion fatigue. You know, mm -hmm. folks on the front line experience it. So a lot of times when people feel like they're operating in a silo, um, you know, they can lose faith and also, you know, miss really big opportunities. There's also a lot of opportunity for um, sophisticated collaboration. But on the resource sharing front, so we had an organization that um, when we had uh, heavy rains in the spring, there was like some risk of flooding. 
um, an organization that uh, collects donated uh, human breast milk to distribute to hospitals um, for NICUs in the area. They were worried that um, their freezers, their facilities might be impacted and they would lose, you know, two plus weeks of supply going to all the major hospitals here. By just getting on this monthly call, another one of our members was like, how many cubic feet do you need? We have two giant walk-ins. We can get all your stuff here. Uh, We can bring a refrigerated truck. No problem. We got you covered. We're so grateful it wasn't needed. But, you know, you can avert really costly risk. And a lot of times organizations are kind of operating with budgets. I mean, the vast majority of organizations operate on budgets that are smaller than $500,000 a year. Um, And a lot of any kind of inherent tensions are exacerbated by what's happening broadly, nationally, um, with our economy, struggling to kind of fill vacancies. So by coming together and supporting each other, you kind of create a stronger tapestry of support. And there are also lots of opportunities to work across mission areas. So how can a food program work with an after-school program? Um, how can, you know, an arts and culture organization support a shelter organization? I think there are a lot of opportunities. And it also helps kind of educate the community because ultimately everything that nonprofit organizations do, they impact all of us in myriad ways. You know, it's, everything's connected. We need clean air, clean water, and that impacts the well-being of our communities. You know, we need um, environmental justice, and that also impacts social determinants of health. And so I think when you start to see this landscape as really an interdependent ecosystem, the notion of collaboration makes a lot of sense. And so we really want to encourage organizations to not feel competitive and to not even feel redundant, but to look for opportunities and truly just to build meaningful relationships with their peers. Yeah, and it's so important. Talk about, um, you mentioned something about funding. Um, One thing that I've noticed with some of the organizations that we work with, um, specifically in child welfare around foster care, there's some just phenomenal, critical organizations that are doing work that we work with a lot. And I notice, and we're trying to work through some of this stuff because when I got them all in a room together, which had never happened before. Um, there was this issue of of funding sources, and different nonprofits get funding. You know, some get it through government organizations, and some get it. You know, philanthropic organizations. You know, there's a, it runs the gamut of how people f- find their funding. And I notice that there's sometimes competition in the funding streams. So how how do you how, how do you help people through that? How do you help these nonprofits to kind of figure out where these funding streams come from, and and then how do you connect? Maybe how because I've noticed there's there's a lot of philanthropic organizations that want to support things. How do you connect the the philanthropies with the people that they you know want to support or have passions for? That's that's the secret sauce. Yeah. That's exactly what we're working on right now, and so. Um, UNA has been around for over 30 years, so folks who are old-timers in the nonprofit sector know trusted resource for professional education, um, cost-saving benefits, and all that good stuff. But we're really cooking up some big stuff right now, and it's interesting when you want to support collaboration, you can't dictate what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, so first, our first step is to really serve as a convener and facilitator, so one of the things we're doing is um, we're hosting our first ever nonprofit forum with the city of Salt Lake, where we're inviting nonprofits who are located in and serve Salt Lake 
to attend a session where we're just going to have folks from the city present and attend and kind of connect the dots on what are the city's priorities and which organizations have the expertise and the connections and the data to help bridge that gap. On the funding side, we're starting to have these conversations. We really want to support collaborative fundraising. Like there are opportunities for organizations to get to know each other individually and co-write a grant. You know, there, there are opportunities to kind of pursue joint program planning or um, shared resources in the grant. And ultimately, a part of our strategic plan and this new strategic vision, it involves engaging stakeholders from every segment of society. So not just nonprofits, but we'd like to bring the business community together, the funding community together, public sector and individuals, and bring everybody to have a seat at the table and start brainstorming solutions to work more effectively together. I think there is a lot of opportunity to educate and engage the funding community and provide kind of um, an equitable platform for organizations to present to foundations and also to help demystify the foundation world for organizations because it can be really intimidating. Um, and so much about, you know, successful grant writing and so much about, you know, running a successful organization is really building strong relationships. And so we're kind of taking it on ourselves to provide a platform for folks to really have meaningful connections and push that work forward. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you about, um, you know, so so Show Up is is a nonprofit. And we started this about two and a half years ago. And um, we were really naive and frankly, quite stupid because we just (laughs) didn't know what we were doing. And I think that's probably the story for a lot of people Mm -hmm. that decide, hey, this is this is an area I'm passionate about. I want to start this organization. I, I see a need. I feel like I uniquely qualified to help, you know, fill that gap or that need. And um we just it's been such a learning curve and there has been a lot of trial and error around just you know bookkeeping and i mean people don't realize like you spend i mean i get really frustrated but i'm also trying to stay out of jail so like (laughs) you spend a lot of money just doing those little organizational things, is there something in, you know, with the, with your organization that is helps people to maybe collaborate, especially these smaller ones? I mean, we're fairly small, but like being able to um, share a bookkeeping service or, you know, how do you how do you work through those kinds of things? Absolutely. And you're definitely not alone. <laughs> um, it's easy to forget that, like, the nonprofit sector is, like, the third sector. It's its own industry with its own language, its own regulations, and it's complicated. Um, so UNA helps organizations from, you know, the beginning of an idea through incorporation, through these nuts and bolts pieces. So um, really the fundamental kind of value proposition is building capacity, making sure the organization's have the tools and the resources they need to operate successfully, legally, you know, to mitigate risk. It kind of sounds kind of technical, but when you think about, like you're saying, like Show Up is an incredible organization with an incredible mission. You run amazing programs. But at the end of the day, there's still a lot of administration. So um, not only does UNA offer a lot of resources, but we have year-round expert-led trainings, and professional education. So we always encourage organizations to attend those. 
Our kind of signature program is the UNA Credential. It is a series of nine courses in areas that are um, essential to organizational capacity and nonprofit management. So each one is a two-day course led by an expert. But the most important thing is that each participating organization gets follow-up coaching and consultation so they can take what they learned and actually implement it in their organization. So really making sure that organizational change does happen. And so these are in areas like finance and accounting, fundraising and development, marketing, communications, human resources. So there's a little bit of the boot camp element. Um, but then um, how do you kind of ensure that organizations say sustainable and solvent? I think it's really by providing long-term supports. Um, we also offer a number of cost-saving benefits. So a lot of organizations are really small. Um, it's hard to retain employees. They have very small staff size. So if they're members of UNA, they can opt into a group health insurance mm -hmm. uh, program. We also have a pooled retirement program. So if you're like, think of it like a small business. If you're getting up and running, you're going to need these resources. So we're very proud to offer those to help kind of keep costs down for nonprofits. Um, and we also engage business partners. So we want to connect organizations with the right actual resources, vendors, and service providers that they need to keep the doors open. Um, in addition, I think kind of the magic is really getting the right people in the right room at the right time and having people build meaningful relationships with each other. I think connection is so important, and we're rolling out a lot of things that really reinforce collaboration on the more practical level. So we're launching a statewide Slack channel that is not just open to members, but is open to nonprofit professionals across the state. So let's say you're a fundraising and marketing professional. You can join, get approved to join the community, and you can just pose your questions, share resources. This is a little bit of an experiment, but it's kind of a, an unstructured, broad opportunity for collaboration. Like we want to see what bubbles up organically. How much oversight does this need? Or will people just make those connections on their own? Um, we also have uh, an annual conference. This was our first year back in person, but um, it's open to organizations across the state, opportunity to connect and learn. Um, and we also have, like I mentioned, these ongoing monthly calls for our members that are totally open, agendaless, no logos, no egos, connect with your peers, talk about what you're working on, what are your questions. And so often, you know, on some of the calls I run, it's like, I'm brand new to this role. I just got promoted. I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, what paperwork do I need? What resources are out there? And it's as simple as that. But like, there is kind of a mentorship vacuum. So I think just knowing that there's somebody else in the ether who has been through what you're doing and who is kind and willing to offer some support and coaching, that goes a really long way. Mm. Yeah, that's, uh, I again, like having started in this world, <laughs> not knowing anything, uh, it's such a great resource. And and the and the collaboration and sharing is is I think key to what all all of your things you're doing. Um, is there a way to? I mean, just on a you know, again from personal experience, is there a way to? You know, put out job openings or you know so is there a way for somebody to say like you know an organization to say actually we're looking for this like we're looking for a communications director or we're looking for someone in marketing or whatever is there a way through the organization to do that absolutely we, we have a great job board it's actually on our website that's one of the things that gets the most hits it's a uh, free for any member to post their jobs 
Um, and we're also kind of zhuzhing it up a bit to include volunteer opportunities and board service opportunities. But really for the job marketplace of nonprofits, it's a great go-to. And hopefully when you Google nonprofit jobs in Utah, that is the first one that comes yeah. up. Um, but it's great. I, people are really active on there. And I think it gives you a good sense of the landscape. Um, and in the name of equity, one of the things we do um, in order to post on the job board, you have to list the salary. And I think mm. that's, you know, we're trying to be forward thinking in those practices because, um, you know, the job market's really tough right now. Yeah. And there's definitely a broad workforce shortage. So anything that we can do to help connect those dots and alleviate those pain points, we're happy to do. Yeah, I love it. Um, I want to talk a little bit more about maybe the barriers for our nonprofits, um, other things you you think people should know, and we'll do that when we come right back. Welcome back. Uh, we're here with Saru, and she is from the uh, she's the manager of marketing and communications at Utah Nonprofits. And um, I guess like my my next question is, you know. What do you wish people knew as they were starting out, uh, you know, a nonprofit? What do you, what do you, what are the pitfalls? What are, you know, common mistakes or common misperceptions? Those kinds of things. Um, that's a great question. I think, I think a lot of times people can overlook one the role of nonprofits in society and how they're just an integral part of how our communities function, but within organizations. I think we forget that, like, it's not just about goodwill, like what you were saying about show up. Like, there are kind of nuts and bolts that, things that you have to pay attention to, the legalese, that ultimately you're running an organization. You're not really, not, you're not technically running a business. Nobody owns a nonprofit. The public owns a nonprofit. But it's your job to stay solvent and to continue serving people. I think inherently there's always, um, you have to strike a balance between service delivery and sustainability. Um, and it's, you know, really important to never get so fragmented that the decision makers at the top are forgetting who are the people we're serving. Um, and so always reminding yourself of the mission and why you do that work. I think, broadly speaking, um, Utah's a really unique place. It actually has um, the lowest number of nonprofits per capita of any state, which maybe speaks to why it's wildly efficient. That surprises me. But I, I know, even though we have a lot of incorporated organizations, I think it has to do um, with the resiliency of the state and, you know, the also how well the state's public services function. But the truth is, that means we need to support our organizations and organizations need to support each other even more. And that nonprofit capacity, you know, teaching folks how to keep the doors open, how to operate successful campaigns how to reach the right people and convey your message. All of these are really essential, even though they sound kind of technical. You know, it's not always the heartstring stuff that that fuels the organization, but the heartstring stuff, the actually working with people and communities in need, you know, providing services, providing opportunities for people to come together, you know, working with animals and, and the environment. All of this is the most important part, but we can't forget that, there's this technical aspect behind it. Um, I think right now it's an interesting time for organizations across the country. So there was a survey that went out to nonprofits across the country and, um, you know, seven out of 10 organizations anticipated charitable contributions to remain flat or decrease in the coming year. 
Um, there's kind of this climate of uncertainty, but it's not dire. I just think organizations right now are coping with changes in the funding landscape. Um, it's more dynamic. So while there's an explosion of growth in these new vehicles like donor advised funds, um, organizations are having a hard time attracting and retaining new donors. Um, foundations have changed their giving priorities, but also are remaining flexible and open, kind of continuing this um, trend that we saw during the pandemic of supporting things like general operating funding. So folks are trying to pivot, watching the landscape, but also dealing with some internal challenges. Um, there's a workforce shortage. It's harder to attract and retain talent. There's salary competition from the private sector. And also, broadly speaking, we're still seeing really high demand for services. Um, and this is nationally and also within Utah, like some organizations are reporting this. So it's not dire, but I think people are hyper aware and hyper vigilant and really trying to be nimble right now to make sure that they can avoid things like delays in service, um, prevent backlogs, take care of their administrative needs, and also continue serving the groups that they serve. So it's kind of an interesting inflection point, but we really see that as an opportunity for UNA to do what it does, is you know to come in and support organizations, flood them with resources, hook them up with opportunities to save costs on you know administrative expenses. You know, I think this is really a time for us and for our communities to support organizations. We have just a wildly um, successful and really giving uh, philanthropic community in the state. And um, as, as nonprofits try to navigate that, what, what advice do you have for people who are – I mean, because I'm telling you, like, the fundraising part of the nonprofit is, like, the worst part. I'm just going I'm just here to say it's hard. It's I mean it's putting your tin cup out there and begging and <laughs> and and people do it differently and I've seen it really successful, you know, we have we've we've done some things. We've, you know, gone to we a lot of times go directly to folks that we know and, you know, like family foundations and then we, you know, network different people and we really try to align what we're doing and we try to think about those people who have similar visions that we know about and then we connect with them and it's and but it, it really is frankly exhausting but <laughs> what's your advice for for tapping into that philanthropic philanthropic community absolutely so i think it's important to remember this is going to sound really technical but you should always have a diverse funding portfolio yeah what i mean is if you find that your organization is largely funded by foundation grants or by um, government grants, you know, that is should be a signal that it's time to get out in the community, build relationships, try to build out some individual giving. Same with if it was the flip flip side. So one is you really have to exhaust all arenas. The other thing is, you know, when you think about um, when you personally are um, engaged or asked by an organization or a cause to make a donation, at least for me, I'm never offended. I'm yeah. never hurt. I will absolutely help in any way I can. Um, and that also includes things like in-kind support. You know, can I donate my time? Can I provide a service? Can I volunteer? All these things matter and they count. Um, so making the ask is terrifying. Uh, but if you put yourself in somebody's shoes, it's actually kind of very kind and it's a, it's a privilege to be asked to, to support a cause. On the 
institutional funding side, again, beyond building relationships, I think, you know, we need more of a dialogue. A lot of, so a lot of foundations sometimes are like, oh, I don't understand why these organizations don't have um, audited financial statements, for example. The truth is, this past year, the cost of audits has gone up. Auditing firms, you know, CPAs were raising their rates. So a lot of organizations couldn't really retain services and do a formal audit. Um, And so it's created a little bit of a backlog in that space. So how can you find a way to articulate this message and say, oh, well, we have the next level down of financial controls, which are, you know, a financial (laughs) review. This, This is not something you could just submit on the website on your grant and explain away. But really, by developing relationships with program officers, you'd be like, here, this is what we do. This is our impact. This is how successful we've been. This is where we are financially. Right now, we're trying to build up the budget to retain this firm to do the formal audit that you require. And when you can have those conversations, it kind of breaks apart that big, scary wall (laughs) that foundations sit behind. So I think being able to tell your story effectively and always point towards your outcomes is really important. And on the foundation side, you know, I have a strong hope then broadly for all funders um, that we can move beyond this dialogue of like a really myopic view of what nonprofit like efficacy is. And that means that 85 cents of every dollar goes to programs, 15 cents goes to administrative expenses. Because that's a little bit part of the issue in terms of like, how can we attract and retain the best and brightest to run our organizations? You know, how can we make sure we have a competitive benefits package and that, you know, we're recruiting folks from wonderful schools to come run our organizations because this is really important work. Um, So in order to stay competitive, we have to kind of look at some of those narrow rules by which we, you know, judge organizations. Obviously, the call is to always keep your program expenses high and manage your administrative expenses. You don't want those to get bloated. But thoughtful investment in people, I think, can go a really long way in the sector. Yeah. No, it's it's important. I think it's just it, it is technical. It's a lot of stuff that I didn't know I would be doing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there is a lot of, I mean, the audit process is, I mean, it's just, it's a lot and it's kind of scary sometimes. And, you know, it's, it's a lot for somebody, especially if you're just starting out and it's, it's new to you. And we, we ended up, you know, because we get a little bit of, for our teacher conference from, mm-hmm. you know, government sources, like, then it bumps you up into this audit bracket that's different. This it, Anyway, it's just, it's, it's a lot to work through. Um, but I love it. It's such great advice, and it's such a great organization to help all these nonprofits. Um, as as we finish up here, I want to just ask one more question, and and maybe you can't answer this uh, truthfully, but like, <laughs> I'll do my best. But like, what's your favorite? What's what? Maybe like, what's a favorite nonprofit that maybe somebody d- that we wouldn't know about, or that's doing really unique work, or that's that's um, maybe serving a population that we wouldn't think about. I mean, we, we see lots of things we see, you know, in our, in our world, a lot of, a lot of child welfare space, a lot of, um, education space, you know, there's, we do a lot with service organizations. We do, I mean, we, so we're working in all these different areas. Special Olympics is a, is a nonprofit, a enormous one. Mm-hmm. Um, so we partner with a lot of different nonprofits and work with them. Um, what's, What's something unique? What's one of your favorites? Well, um, unfortunately, I can't openly pick favorites. <laughs> not only are we nonpartisan. It's like one of your not, children. Yeah. I know. <laughs> we're highly diplomatic. Um, I will say 
there are a lot of pockets of innovation. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the most pleasant surprises, as you alluded to, is the strength of organizations that serve people with disabilities. Um, And, you know, there's amazing organizations that support sports and adaptive athletics. Uh, There's also a really strong arts community. And I think that one has been a very pleasant surprise for me as well. There are a lot of people doing a lot of really creative work out here and really using arts as a medium to connect communities. Mm -hmm. And I think when people play with physical space and creating neighborhoods or pockets of neighborhoods or even going to making a community space, I think there's a lot of magic that happens there. So I'm going to leave it at that because that's my yeah. most diplomatic answer. <laughs> but, you know, maybe offline, I'll, I'll give you a short list. <laughs> no, I think you're you're absolutely right. You know, we when again, as we travel around and see places, we there's there's an organization up in Ogden that does something like that where they um, this wonderful human, this guy, he he brings in at risk youth and it's a space to create, write art, you know, all different kinds of art. And um, it's just one of those places that I think we need to we need to shine a light on and make sure that we have. I love the creativity between be behind a lot of the stuff that that we've seen. And I I really I find it really fascinating that um, we have these organizations that are seeing a need, addressing a need, and working together to make sure that that people have what they need. But also, there's such an opportunity, I think, in, in the nonprofit world and throughout our communities to create belonging. Um, I, I just the more the more I think about it, the more we experience life in this country and around the world belonging it always it comes back to belonging it's it's these organizations can create a place of belonging for people that have not felt that and i think that's a powerful thing in our communities absolutely also another area where utah absolutely stands out is um in support services for immigrants refugees new americans it's incredible and there's a lot of innovation there um you know business creation and just running the range. And that's where you really see the ecosystem of services. If a new family comes to Utah, you can see clothing resources, English language learning resources, business resources, housing. You kind of see the ecosystem of the sector come together to really lift people up. And I think what you're saying about belonging is extra poignant now. Um, It does feel like a little bit fragmented. And you think there's a lot of stressors for youth in particular. Um, I think it can be really isolating. And, you know, we have all the joys and ills of just being a social media culture. So to create a sense of normalcy, grounding and belonging goes a long way, I think, for, you know, people of any background um, and any age. Yep. I love it. Well, thank you. And thank you for what you're doing and the work that you provide and the service that you provide at the at the Nonprofit Association. Um, we, we love what you're doing and we support it wholeheartedly. So thank you. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Such a pleasure. You can find more information at utahnonprofits.org. Thanks for being a friend.